You're tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. I'm astounded to find out something that hasn't happened. I thought it might have happened, but it hasn't. Roger Whitaker is alive. He hasn't died. How old? I, and he, they say he's only 82. Oh, Roger. He always seemed really old. When, even when I was really, really young, he seemed old. Kind of like a cross between Rolf Harris and Cat Stevens. Oh, for goodness, let's try and keep it positive. We won't bring up the allegations. Roger is alive. I've got to leave old Durham town. Uh. I've got to leave old Durham town. I've got to leave old Durham town. Uh. And that leaving's going to get me down. That's my shocking news to begin with. All righty. Okay. He's alive. See what I mean? Cross between Cat Stevens and Rolf Harris. A perfect hybrid. Okay, uh, in an ongoing series called My Grievances, uh, this is number 537, um, the baby cult. Why do we have a baby cult? When did it start? Can we stop it, please? I was reminded of this when Simon Bridges not only brought up his lovely wife, but here are my babies, look at me, what I've done, aren't they lovely, aren't I clever, I have babies. Leave them out of it. They're not part of the National Party. Just like at the end of a grand final in the Rugby League, uh, sweaty blokes at midnight running around on muddy ground with sprigs on and then Bring out the babies. Show me your baby. Oh, we've got to see your babies. When did they start doing this? I would like them to stop. It's actually policy. At the Cowboys and the Bulldogs, if you don't have a baby, you get a team baby. They borrow them. I don't think it costs that much. You just, oh, here's a baby. Golf. At the end of the Masters, on that beautiful green manicured to the extent of showing man's dominion over nature and somebody puts in a stupid ball in a hole and on run the babies. Did you ever see Jack Nicholas do that? No. Did you ever see Arnold Palmer do that? No. They just started it over the last, I don't know, 30 years. <laughs> okay, that's my grievance. Number 537, the baby cult. Stop it. All right. Media stick coming up. Skeptical thoughts tonight on a grim story from Northern Ireland. Um, a mother takes her son to be shot. And that is exactly what happens in this movie. It's a documentary. Oh, boy. We've got um, oh, a little cut here from the movie. Just listen to what this young man says in Northern Ireland. I dare sharpen the sharpening up my attic and fill the top of it. I was just, I sat there, just that there's like whacking somebody or just put it that age, heavy when he had the, the power, knock them out. But if you want to kill them, use that age. There's my favorite weapons, like hatchet. Sweet. Anybody throw it at somebody? What? 
No, we can't understand it. Um, unfortunately, the movie has subtitles. No, it's a grim story. It really is. Uh, the paramilitaries are more respected and trusted still in a place, at least one place, in Derry where this happens, where this can happen. They would never leave, much rather bring their children to be shot than leave that community. So they're very loyal to it. Have a nice day. Uh, we speak with the director, and she'll be on around about 10.30. Oh, let's rip into media stick very shortly after this sh- commercial break. It's 10 after 8. Very good evening, everybody. The Weekend Variety Wireless. I have a lot of fight left in me. I'm not breaking down. The New Zealand Herald published a smear by TV blogger Paul Cassidy. The blogger is obviously emotionally disturbed. We will never feel safe again. Hello, Paul. Evening, Graham. Shame you can't stick around. I, I was going to give you um, two or three questions with the uh, director of that censored thing. It, I've seen it. It's an amazing array of stuff that's been chopped out of the movies. It's a great idea, isn't it? It's a wonderful idea for a movie. Yes, I'll be watching that, that's I, for sure. I mentioned that you um, might be uh, in the interview and I said uh, your claim to fame was that Bill O'Reilly... Uh, w- had called you mentally ill, and she was way impressed. She's really disappointed you're not going to be on. <laughs> oh, well, you know, yeah. can't please everyone, can you? No. All right. Uh, the current arch satirist, I suppose, uh, you could include Charlie Brooker in there a little bit, but um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Well, he's, yes, Sasha Baron Cohen, the one and only. Although you mentioned Charlie Brooker there, and actually this new series, which has just started uh, here on, uh, it's on Soho, mm. Um, it's called, is it Who Is America? Mm. And it's it's a half hour of Sasha Baron Cohen dressed up as different characters, just taking the piss out of people. Some of it's quite gentle and, and kind of, some of it's, um, the, 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 the victims actually come off rather well. There was, there's one episode, the first episode, there's a woman who's, uh, runs an art gallery in Laguna Beach in California, and he comes in dressed as, as a, uh, an English prisoner. He's just, I've just got out of jail. I've been doing these pictures. Or I think are wonderful art. And he's basically got these, these paintings he's done with his own shit. And he's like, done these paintings with my shit. Oh, got the full Bobby and Sands. And she just takes him completely seriously and encourages him. And it's just wonderful. It's just like she's just so wonderful. And he says, I'm making, I'm using, a, um, I think he says, I'm making a paintbrush out of pubic hair. Wait, can I get can I make some of your pubes? And she goes, sure. And she gets, she turns into the other room. She's sort of bending away and clipping a few pubes. Oh. She comes back with them and just... She's just up for it, but you know she's an art dealer, so she's right. she's looking for the positive spin. She's going, this could probably. She's thinking, this could maybe this will sell because he seemed quite. He was, you know, I've only done one thing wrong, but I did it fourteen times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so but mostly he's going up against Republicans and really taking the piss out of yeah. gun nuts and. Well, just on the art thing, um, the, the, what was his name? Took the famous photographs. Um, the Patty Smith cover uh, was hung out with Patty Smith all the time. Robert Maplethorpe. Robert Maplethorpe. We see an art dealer deals with photographs like Robert Ma- Robin Maple Robert Maplethorpe. You're getting excited, Graham. You're exciting yourself. Is that um, you know painting with your own poo is nothing? Yeah. No, that's right. When, and the thing is, painting with your own poo is actually a thing. And let's not forget the piss Christ, which was a very famous piece of art that uh, caused a lot of consternation. But anyway, the new show is, is mostly him going up against, you know, he's in Trump's America and he's having a go at, you know, in one of the promos early on, Dick Cheney is tricked into signing uh, of, you know, a waterboarding kit 
which he, which he brings on to an interview, pretending to be a, you know an oh. ex-veteran or something. Um, he's Sarah Palin's very upset because he tricked her. She's she's uh, I haven't seen that episode yet, but in this she doesn't like being tricked. <laughs> no, she doesn't. But th- th- in this episode here, he apparently goes to a town hall meeting in Arizona. Uh, the you would have to look at the 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 people rounded up and they look kind of rednecky at, at the very least. Um, your average maybe rural Arizonians. He's coming in. He's pretending that he's got this. He's presenting this great opportunity for them let's hear what that opportunity is who wants to see huge economic growth here Everybody. Right. who wants to see an investment of 385 million dollars guess what you guys are going to get it I'm here to tell you that Kingman has been chosen as the location of a brand new state-of-the-art mosque. I know some of you are thinking, okay, this is just another typical mosque. This, guys, is going to be the world's largest mosque outside of the Middle East. Just the word alone scares you. To me, when I hear the word mosque, I think of terrorism. Is there, is there a need for this in Kingman? Yes, there is. How? Why? How? What? Your town will become a hub for tourism from, for Muslims around the world. <laughs> Can I get a whoop whoop? No. <laughs> we don't want that shit here. <laughs> he's not, not going to get a whoop whoop. Oh. And he just, he, I mean, it's... Monorail kinda, guy. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's this new character he's got who's sort of like a he often in one episode he wears an NPR t-shirt he's got a ponytail his hair pulled back he looks what like does NPR stand for uh, National Public Radio so like oh, he's a real lefty right. kind of weird kind of annoying yep. lefty dude is the kind of the character uh, let's just hear a little bit more of that at the end when it starts to get a little bit more out of hand oh no 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 did you I didn't imply anybody here is racist of course not I am I'm racist toward Muslims. Let me continue, and then I... That would probably look good in a fire. Well, it will be made out of stone, so it won't be able to burn. So that's one of the anti-terrorist measures. I really believe by the end of this uh, presentation, you guys are going to be completely convinced. You're wrong. I got it. Let me show you how your town will change. Oh, hell no. You're fucking kidding no. Now, now, in that picture there, what he's done there is he's just shown this this really quiet little empty street with about four buildings on it, you know, small town America. Next frame, he's superimposed a camel <laughs> and a couple of people wearing robes walking around. And, that, and they'll go, oh, no. <laughs> uh, I kind of felt a little sorry for these people because they, yeah. they, they kind of set up, but I also wonder how he went about doing that. And I suspect that they didn't know exactly what was going on, but I don't think they were... I, I don't think he would set them up to look that racist just because it seems to be punching down way mm. too much. Mm. I reckon there's something more behind that story. And getting behind the story of how he talked people into it is another guy we're going to play now, a guy mm-hmm. called Joe Walsh. He was... a. Rep- uh, you know, congressman. Now he's an outspoken Republican. He's anti-Trump actually, but he's a, he's, he's a right-wing character. And he got tricked into basically uh, reading from auto auto cue promoting um, guns for toddlers in American schools because because he, he thinks this has been happening in Israel. He'll explain how he got tricked. Are his stunts exposing truth or just pushing an already polarized country farther apart? 
Many of the victims have been speaking out. So far, they include Sarah Palin, Dick Cheney, Ted Koppel, Bernie Sanders, Roy Moore, General David Petraeus, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, and my next guest, Joe Walsh, the former Illinois congressman turned radio host. So, Congressman, what was the setup in your case? Hey, Michael, good to be with you. And, and look, let me say at the outset, I think Sasha, I, I think Sasha Baron Cohen's a funny guy. I thought Borat was hilarious, but look, in my case, <laughs> like in a lot of the cases, he's a funny guy because he gets people to say stupid things. He gets people to say stupid things because he lies to them. In my case, he flew me out to Washington, D.C. They knew I was a big supporter of Israel's, and they presented me with this award as one of Israel's greatest friends. Found out later the whole thing was a ruse, and it was a ruse probably just to get me to say some stupid things. So they give you the award, and, and then what? There was some aspect of this where it dealt with Israel using kids to protect itself against terror? Yeah, Michael, it was just crazy. Look, he, they flew me out to D.C., they put me up in a hotel, they put me in a limo, they, they sent me off to this studio in Virginia, again, all under the lie that I was getting an award from some Israeli TV station because I'm a great supporter of Israel. So after they conducted an interview, they, they had me read off of a teleprompter talking about some of the innovative products that Israel's invented. And, and then they had me read about this four-year-old child in Israel who, when a terrorist entered his classroom, somehow he grabbed the terrorist's gun and <laughs> held the terrorist at bay. And, and that was, a, a, I guess, an example of how Israel trains and arms preschool kids on how to use firearms. Yes, so he thought well, it's, he thought, it's, it's almost believable. Well, it's, it, he, I take his point. In Israel, they might. Yeah. Things are quite extreme there. Yeah. It wouldn't be that surprising. On edge a little. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> but it's interesting to, interesting to hear the mechanics of how, how he got tricked into it. Uh, he appeals to the ego that, that reels them in. An award <laughs> for being such a great friend of Israel. Limousine, oh, you're a great guy. <laughs> And yeah. Oh man. Well, he is today's arch satirist, but I do think the finest, and you're very familiar with him. I just edited together Chris Morris. Yeah, Chris Morris. Yeah. Um, one this of new series is very Chris Morris too, and its techniques. Is it? Yeah, you get right. getting people to read dumb stuff off autocue. Yeah. Well, the greatest achievement, the highest achievement, I think, in um, this sort of thing where you con people into doing stuff, was the fake drug cake. Oh yeah. And. It, honestly, these people would just read the most ridiculous things about what this cake was, but they were all hoodwinked. They weren't acting. They were hoodwinked into um, saying how awful this new drug is. This made-up drug. It's a made-up drug. Um, and he got a question asked in Parliament. Oh, that's right. And that is the achievement. In the House of Commons, yep. an MP says to the Minister of Health, what are you going to do about this new drug cake we need to ban it <laughs> it went that far in under three minutes here's the story as it happened on chris morris's program brass eye the classic street signs of a nearby drug abuse but what about this remnants of something far worse a new legal drug from czechoslovakia called cake jed moore reports 
Cake first appeared in Prague last year. News reports show victims insane with pain. Hi, this is Bruno Brooks. We all like to party, right? Absolutely. But only the fool would say, yeah, I'll enter the nightmare of cake. This colour that they thought would be a good selling point is put in by using an industrial dye, Rolf. which in itself is a pollutant. Harris. And is causing in Czechoslovakia something called Czech neck. It causes enormous water retention so that the, the body swells up. The neck becomes about this wide and swells up to engulf the mouth and the nose so that the person who's on that trip dies through not being able to breathe at all. No one understood how to get the message over better than this man. What is cake? Well, it has an active ingredient, which is a dangerous psychoactive compound known as dimesmeric anison phosphate. Noel Edmonds. It stimulates the part of the brain called Shatner's bassoon. And that's the bit of the brain that deals with time perception. So, a second feels like a month. Well, almost sounds like fun. Unless you're the Prague schoolboy who walked out into the street straight in front of a tram. He thought he'd got a month to cross the street. David Amos is MP for Basildon. How did you become aware of this? Uh, he is also shocked. Good God. And appalled. For maximum reach, Cake needed an actively political kick in the pills. And that's what it got from MP David Amos, MP. Cake is a bisturbile, cranabolic amphetamoid, which is a made-up psychoactive chemical. It comes from Prague, with its own culture of boom raves, where kids wolf down vast quantities of this. Look at that. A hundred grand in the pocket of the filth that sells it. A big yellow death bullet in the head of some poor user, or custard gannet, as the dealers call them. Can look, I have we asked anything about this in Parliament? I mean, no. we haven't. No, I mean, you know, I mean, that would be ideal to get something well, done. Well, I'll certainly raise a question. Um, With the hell of cake still ringing in his ears, Amos went back to his lair and drafted a question for the Home Office. The very next question time saw health ministers pledging to fight cake. And in the meantime, the message for the kids is loud and clear. What a beautiful oh, achievement. Well, just just the, the language of Chris Morris. Mm. Unbelievable. Custard so, Gannett. Custard Gannett. And the trick in getting people to believe something so outrageous, I think, is what he called it and the colour of it. Because at around about that time, there was that, um, what was it called? The... the uranium substance that they were supposed them that was supposed to be being traded out of Nigeria and it was all a big lie and it was called yellow cake. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. And it might have just mm. set off something in their heads. But anyway, uh that that's a fine achievement. I wonder what he's doing now. Yeah, well he made I think it's working he, on a new movie. What was it meant to he? be? Oh, yeah. He did three lions and things like yeah. that. But I really love the way he's not like <coughs> everywhere all the time. He's you know Do you? Quiet yeah, no, I do. I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool. It. Just get on with it, will you? No, all right. Oh my god, it's brunch. I love brunch. I can't even deal with this right now. It's brunch. I've no. got this. 
that's the theme of MasterChef. MasterChef. This year, it's fake enthusiasm. I'm sorry, that's too much. You do want them to be up and at it and interested, but really getting brunch. that excited about brunch, go away. How was Gordon Ramsay's? He's been on, hasn't he? Oh, I'm, I've got them piled up. I'm going to be oh, watching yeah. them uh, later. I'm hoping for retired Dutch volleyballer to do well. She's good. Okay. Um, what's next for you? Is she the bird in the 40s? Yeah, tall. Looks like a yeah. retired Dutch volleyballer. Yeah, okay. And I, I, that's, I immediately th- think I, I know who you mean. Mm. That's why nicknames... I love Toad of Toad Hall's outfits. They're just getting... He was oh, wearing a pink one last night. Yeah, Rupert the Bear. Oh. Yeah, or... Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Nappy Neck, we call him. Uh, oh, this poor guy who was poisoned with the Novichok stuff in Salisbury... It was a scavenger just to right, live. Because th- they said very early on they, they thought it was a drug overdose. So that kind of hinted at the type of. I know, you know, yeah. I'm being judgmental here, but it kind of immediately. In, in, no surprise. Intimated yeah. the type of person. Yeah. Um, and you know, just to, in order to live, he's getting stuff out of rubbish bins. Him and his partner, whom he seemed to be R. in R. love with. R.I.P. She's dead. Uh, she thought it was perfume or something, put it on her wrist. Dead. Uh, he got Jesus. a dose of it. Uh, um, uh, and he was there, sitting there, being interviewed by the BBC. And I felt for the bugger. I thought, you know, that's no luck there at all. And the BBC asked this question. Charlie Rowley is one of only four people in the world publicly known to have been poisoned with Novichok and survived. He's convinced he didn't find the perfume bottle in a park in Salisbury although can't remember where he found it. I think it's very irresponsible for people to leave the, the poison, you know, for anybody to, to pick up. Do you feel lucky to be alive? Um, they say I'm lucky, but I don't feel lucky. I, I just don't feel lucky that I've lost my partner. And I thought, well, good for you. And just saying, no, mm. no, no thanks. No, don't feel lucky because I don't think he is. Okay, Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr, she's uh, being, she had a bit of a meltdown. Uh, it was based on a tweet that she tweeted, uh, kind of implying that a uh, uh, an African-American woman who's a Democrat uh, looked like a combination of something and, and someone from Planet of the Apes. Immediately that was seen as um, being a racial kind of a comment, which it does seem to be on I'll the be surface. I'll thoroughly honest. When I saw her, I didn't <clears throat> think she was African-American at all. Well... That this is the, the she Roseanne's sort of been in a bit of a free fall ever since the show's been cancelled. She's she's uh, said that it, what, the first excuse was that uh, she's on Ambien taking a lot of a drug and it's sending her a bit mad. It seems to be true, but this is her attempt at sort of sorting out the PR disaster. This is her doing a mock interview on her own Facebook channel about really? that, about that incident. So this is actually something she set up. Roseanne Barr is next. Roseanne Barr is still defending her racist tweets about Valerie Jarrett. This bit isn't. It, you know what? But it's coming up. I don't have a word for it. Just take a look. <laughs> I'm trying to talk about Iran. I'm trying to talk about Valerie Jarrett wrote the Iran deal. I know, but you've told me this 300 <sighs> times. Do you know that if... That's what my tweet was about. I know. You've explained this literally 300 I, times. I thought the bitch was white. <laughs> God damn it. I thought the bitch was white. She seems way more reasonable now. Have he explained it that yeah. with that kind of delicacy? Yeah. 
Dude, that's bullseye Roseanne Barr. It's like her national anthem. It is really. She's um she's done a big Hannity interview this week as well, and uh, oh, how was that? And just kind of kind of rambling as you'd expect. Um, she's not really she's not apologetic. She's basically seemed to be saying that because she's she she was a Democrat, but then she got turned on after reading some interesting stuff on the internet, and now has seen the truth. Has seen the light, oh, yeah. the non-mainstream Fox News worldview, mm. and because she's such a, this is I'm, ta- I'm sort of taking liberties here, but from what I saw, the, the the main message she was trying to put out was she's such a friend of Israel now that that's already that matters, and that that gives her kind of a get out of free, get out of jail oh. card because she's a big friend of Israel. Oh. That, that's the that's the drum that she keeps beating. Who so. told her that, Sasha Baron Cohen? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's quite. It's uh, but right. but she did say that the drug ambient made her do all sorts of crazy things, and she was she'd wake up at night and she'd found that she'd made all these crazy meals and had been eating them um, while sleep, uh, um, walking or whatever. Right. I'm glad Roseanne Barr's in the world. Actually, we need someone like that. Uh, okay. Well, you've got her. Yeah. Um, now this this is a beautifully. Um, shall I say, written thing and performed. Uh, a fake Simon Bridges, he's good. This is, is yeah, good. This hilarious. Yeah, this is from uh, the, the spin-off TV show, which has been got a bit of flack recently. Got, got The time slot got changed for, for whatever reason that these things happen for. Um, it's it's received a bit of flack from uh, various people in the media. People but, saying it's lo-fi yeah, and that's not good. It's not good enough. Well, it reminds me a lot of what we used to do on Eating Media Lunch, to be absolutely honest. Oh, you made you know, quite a flash show, I think, Paul. That had but, flash edges. Yeah, but you know what I mean. There's the, the, you look at the, and the range of talent and the people they have on that show. It's it, I've watched it, um, this week's episode. It's great. It's good. Refreshing stuff. Young people doing wacky stuff. Uh, a really good review of Naked and that new Naked show. I've, I've, is it Naked and Naked, Afraid? No. I don't know. It's, it's the one where they actually have naked people and, and you judge them before you see their faces. Uh. And people have gone dates based on what their genitals look like. Oh, yep. So it's outraged New Zealand and has received all these complaints. But good. Alex Casey got her mum sat her down and they watched it together. It's a great Great little piece. But uh, this is also from that show, and one of their stable is the great local satirist Tom Sainsbury. And this is kind of... This is timely because, of course, the National Party convention is this weekend. Simon Bridges is, is like, this is his time to shine. He's, he's got to, you know, step up and, and sort of make sure that he can keep the job and all that sort of stuff. Uh, this is him... Th- this week, the National Party released their their version of the cannabis medical marijuana bill they don't want to go along with what the government is doing they want to release this kind of complicated thing uh which the the bad part of it is that people aren't allowed to grow their own plants to to you know to medicate themselves it's on new zealand like yeah that's what i reckon anyway this is this is tom sainsbury as simon bridges from the spin-off show put on the knives the national party have finally announced they're down with ganja here's the definitely real simon bridges with more on the research that went into national's new medicinal marijuana bill My name is Simon Bridges and I'm the leader of the New Zealand National Party and we've decided as a party to push for the legalisation of medicinal marijuana. When I suggested it to the rest of my party, Jerry Brownlee said, Simon, can I please be in charge of the special task force that will look into all the benefits and the not so good benefits of medicinal marijuana and I said go for your life Jerry so he got a team together of Jim, Jamie Lee Ross, Judy Collins and Amy Adams to research medicinal marijuana. 
a couple of hours later, I checked in on them in the conference room and I said, what are your thoughts on legalising it, guys? And they all started laughing a lot. Um, and I said, why are you laughing? And they said, just your voice. And then I said, well, what are your thoughts on legalising marijuana? And they were almost enthusiastic about legalising marijuana as they were about the pikelets and scones that I brought to the meeting. Judy Collins then came up to me and I said, Judy, are you okay? Your eyes are very bloodshot. And she said, Simon, you're the best leader ever. And I said, oh, sharks, thank you. And then I was like, Amy Adams, are you okay? And she said she couldn't move. She was lying on the conference room table and she said she couldn't move. The whole thing was a bit weird, to be honest. And it smelled quite bad too. In any case, we've decided to legalise it. <laughs> legalise it. <laughs> and of course, that's his, uh, this from his Kiwis of Snapchat series, and he's he's mapped the face of Simon Bridges onto his face as he reads that out. Oh, nice! So it actually looks like Simon Bridges as well. Okay. But I think he's got the voice down. Yeah, uh, flash special effects are just an app these days, aren't they? Yeah. Quite good. Uh, now, we've got the wrong Democrat on Fox. I love it when this happens. How how did this happen? Yeah, well, this is interesting. Um, so th this is a, f a Fox News clip where they were expecting a Demo the one Democrat who they had found that was pro what Trump was doing at the border. That's the person that they thought they had on the line. Let's hear what they had first. I'll explain how it happened afterwards. And joining us now, that candidate, the only Democrat on stage to support ICE and Kirkpatrick. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Tell us why you do support ICE. Good morning. I'm actually here to speak directly to Donald Trump. I feel that what's happening at the border is wrong. I'm a mother of four, and I believe that separating kids from their parents is illegal and inhumane. I'm actually Barbara Litalian. I'm a state senator representing a large immigrant community and running for Congress in Massachusetts. I keep thinking about what we're putting parents through, imagining how terrifying that must be for those families imagining how I would feel not knowing if I'd ever see my kids again. We have to stop abducting children and ripping them from their parents' arms, uh, stop okay. putting kids in cages, you want to, and stop you, making three-year-olds defend themselves in court. Well, that that, that practice stop has stopped at this point, Mr. Kirkpatrick, right? Score political points with your base. One well, families have, have been reunited, kids have been reunited uh, with their families. Uh, Again, my name is Barbara Litalian, and I refuse to believe yeah, okay. that our only options our Oops, open this, borders this? are traumatized. Okay. okay. All right. Let's move along that didn't go for as a planned. second. It didn't go as planned, did it? So the person that they were after was a woman called Kirkpatrick. Um, who, and that Barbara Littellan used to work for Kirkpatrick. She was her PR person back um, 10 years ago. And they just got the wrong contact. This woman thought, hang on, this is a good opportunity. Oh, I'm just lovely. Gonna, I'm just going to launch into this. Uh, and subsequently, the woman, Kirkpatrick, who they who they had lined up, also came out publicly and said, actually, they completely misrepresented what I was saying. I'm not pro what's going on. But that woman just took her chance. Uh, so it was She quite, thought on her feet yeah, when she yeah. got the email she got or the, the text. She got the whatever. email and yeah. she thought, I'm going to jump in there. So that wasn't quite as funny as our man, you know, the African dude who turned up at the BBC who, who was interviewed, you know, the, the famous guy. He, he turned up and he, and he just, he continued with the interview. This is about five or six years oh, ago. Yes. Very famous dude. Mm. And he just played along and actually answered all the questions that he thought that they, they wanted to hear. Mm. But uh, no, this is yeah, nice, nice little. Uh, there's a great when you watch the pictures of them, of them reading it out. You can see there's a bit where they're going, "Hang on, this isn't." Oh, nice. This isn't quite right, and they're obviously getting the message from the control room. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, so she she punked them. Yeah. 
Good on her. All right. Um, no New Zealand accent of the week this week. I couldn't find one. It was uh, any good. So never mind. Who cares? Um, next up, Censored, the movie. It's on at the film festival. The film festival is just a big fat excuse to oh, talk about a whole lot this. of neat things. Yeah, uh, to yeah. talk about things on the radio, actually. Uh, so bring it on. I'm enjoying it. Um, yeah, this woman got access to all the celluloid, the film that had been cut out of films. And... Um, in Australia. In Australia, by the censors. And it's made a movie about what was cut out. Brilliant. And all it is, the only thing you see is what stuff that's cut out. Great idea. And I think you'll be impressed. Well, God, the music's beautiful and um, really cleverly tied it in. Uh, what's her name? Sari Braithwaite, live from Melbourne, next. I have a lot of fight left in me. I'm not breaking down. The New Zealand Herald published a smear by TV blogger Paul Cassidy. The blogger is obviously emotionally disturbed. We will never feel safe again. Weekend Variety Wireless. You can't believe Roger Whitaker's alive. Only 82. Doesn't... Something's gone wrong. Okay. At the New Zealand International Film Festival, there's a really good idea. What a great idea. Sometimes movies are just a fabulous idea put into action. Someone had the sharp idea of, I know what I'll do. I'll see if I can find all the clips of films that have been censored. They physically cut them from the celluloid. Uh, were they burnt? Um thrown away, whatever. No, they were kept in an archive. The movie called Censored uh, is, in, other than the audio, entirely made up of these bits that have been cut out, and this is Australian censorship. The maker, Surrey Braithwaite, joins us. Have I pronounced you right? I don't know. It's S-A-R-I. How, how do I say you? Sorry, that was absolutely right. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> what period were the censored bits of celluloid taken from? In the film, the collection exists from 1958 till 1971, and that end date is because the laws changed in Australia and um, there was a whole bunch of different kind of... Um, policy and regulation that came in so that it didn't seem to the government to be that necessary to cut um, in the same way. So they did continue to cut after 1971, but it was with less gusto, I guess. And it does reek of that period too, the culture uh, in so many ways. There's... Um why were they kept? I mean, what a bonus. That, that What a good idea to keep them. I think that was a, a fabulous, prescient thing to do. I have. I still have no idea. I've tried to um, get some information about it, but there is this disconnect really with what happened because the government department kept it, the censorship board kept it, and then at some point they would have just kept it in their storage in their offices for a long time and then... Um, been compelled to hand it over to the National Archives and I've never actually been able to get any information about why the censorship department kept it. I used to hear um, rumours that, you know, in Parliament House in Canberra that there was this collection of banned material that the politicians had access to, but I never, I never kind of, I was so surprised when I stumbled across this collection when I was just looking in the record search of the National Archives of Australia. And is this just because you are the only one who's had this bright idea to actually ask? 
I think so. I mean, I think there's lots of treasures held in all our, um, you know, national institutions and government collections. And this collection itself, uh, there had been this big project to uh, digitise and um, and make this collection available to the public within the National Archives of Australia. But that had happened 10 years ago and no one from the public had actually looked at it until I started looking at it. Mm. Um, so it's that, that kind of disconnect between there's all these amazing things or interesting things that are buried away in our national institutions which we can look at, just people don't think to look at Right. Oh, well, well done for putting your hand up and having a go at this. There's <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of it is violence and nudity uh, and nudity and violence, violence and nudity. But there's one big exception which could make your movie world famous. I'm guessing because this was censored about 10 minutes of Bob Dylan having a huge stand up argument with some fellow lower tier musician uh, people are just nuts about bob dylan um <laughs> and, and if this hasn't been seen before i mean wow yeah i think i mean the film it's from the film don't look back um which uh by penny baker um so it has been it has been seen since since it was cut uh. but it is that was one of my favorite things you know that one of the things I found when I was looking through the collection that there was there was so much of the same that nothing was memorable and nothing stuck. And so when that long Bob Dylan scene turned up, I was just, you know, I was enthralled by it because there's such drama in the documentary of it all. And it's so interesting that, you know, years, it was a documentary, but it feels like it feels like it's scripted, you know. It's just, it's so compelling. So yeah, it is. I loved it when I stumbled across that clip. Okay. Well, it's I'm got a bit. Here he is. Responsibility for cats I don't know, man. Right. I got enough I responsibility with my friends and my own I people. Agree. I know. I agree. No, no, come on. I'm not giving you shit. No, What'd you do it for, man? What'd you throw glasses at me? I didn't throw glasses. Well, show me the person that did it. If you don't have them here, no, man, I'm, I'm not going to tell You better right. take responsibility for All it. Right. Hey, no, come on, I mean, listen. Oh, I've heard a thousand times, man. Right. I know a thousand right. cats that look at yeah, just, like you, on, just, just like you, man. Talk just like you. Oh, it's great to see him that animated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Um, there's a lot of violence. Um, Man-on-man -man violence is kind of like socially um, acceptable in some ways. Uh, Male-on-female violence, um, f far less, and it does turn the stomach. There is a lot of that, isn't there? Yeah, and I think that that's one of the things that really took me by surprise in making this film, that, it, that I, I thought that I would stumble across more things like that Bob Dylan clip, um, which you know, the kind of speak to this exceptional, um, you know, filmmaking and, and cultural contribution. And then, but actually what it was, was it was a lot of violence and sex, which maybe some people would say, of course, that, that's what you'd find in the censored archive. But it was a particular way of depicting violence and sex, yeah. um, which which really started to grate on me. And there wasn't, and one of the things I, I realised that it 
wasn't about one single clip. It wasn't about shaming one film or one particular filmmaker. It was about kind of acknowledging that so many filmmakers were doing exactly the same thing, depicting violence, um, particularly violence towards women, but also violence um, like between men in in the same way and that we were, we were almost um, being kind of... Um, conditioned to to think that this was all normal and okay. But, and I'm assuming, uh, the the censors did censor these things and the censors were male. Mostly the censors were male. The censorship department was run run by men. Um, But there were some women who worked within the department. So it is this interesting question because... You know, audiences in Australia didn't see any of this material at no. the time, um, so it's they would have thought that they were um, protecting us from in Australia from seeing this material. But it's so clear when you um, when you watch this footage now that anyone who's been watching films for the last kind of forty years, all this stuff is very familiar. That it's just presented in a way that they never quite seen before. Yeah, yeah. And from what I could tell, it always, it almost always seems like uh, it is depicted that it's a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's a baddie doing a bad thing. I think that's a really, it's a really interesting question that I wrestled with in this collection because you don't have the, when you're watching this collection day in, day out, you don't have the context in which yeah. Um, these scenes were you know, were being depicted in the in the context of the film. You don't know whether it's the hero of the film or the the villain of the film who's kind of um, displaying an act of violence. And and because you can't you can't make a judgment about any of that context. You you I think you've got to be really careful in what you're saying. But at the same time, I think even without the context. The fact that this was being done over and over again reveals something that's kind of mm. worth niggling at, that um, that you can't get everything, but you can get something from a collection like this. One of the things that really cut me, uh, and you may th- please disagree with me vocally if you do, but I thought it was criminal cutting out the scene from an Ingmar Bergman film. Uh, it was just spoken word. It wasn't... It was what describing um, a sexual encounter, a group sexual encounter. And that's all it was. And I thought, oh, Ingmar, you wouldn't have been pleased that was cut out. No, he wouldn't have been pleased. And I, I think that's a really special scene in the film as well. One of the things I found with this collection, because everything was so short um, or I had problems with so much of the collection that I watched and I didn't really expect to, I found that there were a few scenes that in the collection which gave me a sense of like wonder and catharsis about what film can do and how film can move you. And that Bergman scene to me was such an um, amazing respite from what I felt was this um, very dominant male gaze that here you have this wonderful male filmmaker who could explore women's sexuality um, in a way that was was really powerful and really interesting. And so, um, so that, it was one of the challenges in this film is to kind of uh, pose a 
pose a critique of censorship, pose a critique of filmmaking, but then also give space for these amazing filmmaking moments like that persona scene. Yeah, he real good at movies. Yeah, um, he is. <laughs> okay, you do mention some things you didn't even want to show. We know it's all about bits that have been cut out, but you said, not nah, too awful, not even going to show you. I've seen them. You, you, you're not going to. I made that decision and, and that's a very hard thing. Um, it was a hard thing for me to wrestle with because when I went into this this project, I kind of imagined myself as this liberating um, filmmaker who believed in an artistic expression um, no matter what. And then there was, there was material that I was not comfortable with showing. Um, and I think that that... that um, that really challenged me a lot, but I also kind of wanted to challenge audiences with that idea of of having space to imagine, well, I wonder what that is and why do I kind of feel like I'm missing out on something. What was it? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. All right. We've only got a very short amount of time, um, but I want to take uh, my hat off to the use of music. Um, you've tied it together with some beautiful stuff. Who, who, who are the musicians? Who's this band? The, the composer behind it is Manu Milano, who um, is my um, partner and my, my composer. I'm very lucky to have a um, composer who works from my garage. So that was, that's amazing. And um, it's with, he worked with um, a Melbourne jazz band, The End, who are just phenomenal and so they kind of collaborated together after Munro composed the music to to um, record to to the edit so while we were live recording with this incredible band we had the film playing and they were responding to it lovely um, as they played yeah yeah it's gorgeous hey thank you very much I want to go see them when I'm in Melbourne uh, Sari Braithwaite director of Censored fabulous thank you for your time thank you so much the Weekend Variety Wireless. New spot and weather coming up uh, pretty sh pretty soon. Uh, we've got Skeptical Thoughts with Susie Wiles in the next hour. And just a heads up for, oh, it's a grim thing that happened in Northern Ireland. A mother takes her son to be shot. Eesh. And also, uh, the director of this movie gives a warning about Brexit, of all things. Hadn't thought of it. If a hard Brexit goes ahead, if there's a no-deal Brexit, it's very likely there will be a border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And that would give those people an excuse to reignite a war. I do feel, I think Tinderbox is correct, right? you feel like people need conflict and this would, this would be a good excuse. And it's about the militias still active in Northern Ireland. It's nine o'clock.